God, I thank you for Renovation Church, and I thank you for giving us, before we ever opened a door, the burden for those that are far from you, those who are the least of these, those who are treated with injustice, those who are treated unmercifully, those who are even in our own land traded as slaves for the sex business. There are so many hurting people within our community. And Lord, I just pray that every week we are reminded that our work as a church is not in here. We look around and we've got some hurting people in here, yes. But our work is really outside of these doors. Our work is out in the community. Our work is out in the world. Thank you for calling us to do that. Thank you for equipping us with people who have the skills to be able to do that. And thank you for going before us and preparing hearts where you want that work to take place. Thank you for gifting each of us in special ways so that we might be able to do the things that you have called us to do. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I forgot one announcement. Sorry. We had a great time yesterday morning with men here in the church and some other men in the community, some guys from St. Delight's Pentecostal Holiness Church. I think we had, uh, what would that be? We had 40% of the men from St. Delight's Pentecostal Holiness Church show up here yesterday morning for the breakfast. Uh, But I was asked almost immediately when we started announcing that. You You know how they are. I was asked, well, what about the ladies? What about the ladies? Well, there is something for the ladies to do here, and uh, it's called Lunch with the Ladies. It's called Lunch with the Ladies. It's Saturday, January the 31st at 12 o'clock at the Dunes Golf and Beach Club. We have our little outing right here. They go to the Dunes Golf and Beach Club. And there's going to be, it says, entertainment, door prizes, and a silent auction. And all the benefits from this go to North Strand Housing Shelter right out Highway 9 here, our closest neighbor for helping people that don't have a home, a place to live. We just happen to have here in our church... uh, Donna Levinsky, who is, I guess, the newly acquired head honcho organizer person out at the North Strand Shelter, and she will be delighted. Donna, raise your hand. She's got on purple here, so it's easy to see. She'll be happy to answer any questions that you may have about this after the service today, right? And uh, ladies, this is your chance. This is your chance right there.
and we'll put that back on the bulletin board after the service. Yes. Don't, 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 don't pat them on the back too much. <laughs> we couldn't have had breakfast yesterday without the ladies here to come and greet and serve. And yes, 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 yes. But you know what? I don't think they're going to let us in at the Dunes Golf and Beach Club. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Well, I'm, I'm glad some of you have chosen to come back, and some of you are here for the first time. This is the third week in our series, this Exponential Life series. We're looking at how can I live a compounding life, or what is the power of a compounding life? And today we're going to be talking almost exclusively about serving, about how to serve. And I was thinking about something that happened to me when I worked at Carowinds years ago. Some of you knew that. Some of you didn't know that. Back when it was owned by uh, a political family, the Taft family out of uh, Ohio. And I traveled the world, literally, on an expense account. It was nice. You know, those, those times were nice, you know, to not have to worry about paying for this or that, go anywhere, do anything that was business-related, of course. But uh, I remember my first trip to New York City, and I stayed in a place called the Plaza Hotel. You know where that is on Central... Wow, we do. Central. Some of you have stayed there, haven't you? Central Park South. Gorgeous, gorgeous hotel. Absolutely gorgeous. For you younger tykes... If you saw the movie Home Alone 2, that was the Plaza Hotel in, in New York. And I was thinking as I arrived that morning, I actually it was late afternoon, I left here in the morning, late afternoon, I was getting out of the cab, and the bellman comes up, you know, spiffy little outfit, hat, everything, and he says, the gentleman from North Carolina has arrived. And I'm thinking, the gentleman from North Carolina has arrived, you know? And then he says, whom are we welcoming to the plaza today? <laughs> and I said my name, and he talked to his buddy there, and they kind of typed some things into the, into the computer. And by the time he gets my luggage, which, by the way, was held together with duct tape, <laughs> out of the back of the cab... They've checked me in, and they have keys for me, and they're escorting me up to the room. I don't even remember a credit card transaction at that point. You know, it was like everything was taken care of. It was like, get us, get us to the room. So minutes later, I'm in the room, and I'm thinking, man, this is going to be a great week in New York City. And I was intrigued the more I thought about it. How, how in the world did he know I was from North Carolina? Now, the duct tape could have been a giveaway, but I still don't know how he knew I was from North Carolina. So I'm like, this is absolutely amazing. I can't wait for this week here, work and everything else. So I go, at, go out of the hotel, walk down the street, a few, I don't remember how many 
storefronts it is, but several storefronts down there, to a place for dinner that's called Mickey Mantle's Bar and Grill. You know, anybody been there? It's right there on that strip. I don't even know whether it's still there or not. And as I'm walking out the door for dinner, he says to me, Have a good night, Mr. Wilson. And here I am again, hit by this. How does he remember all these names of all these different people who have checked in? Because this was a crazy check-in time, and he remembered me. So the next day, it, I just couldn't stand anymore. I stopped by, called him to the side, and talked to him a little bit. And he's telling me that every day before they start, they have a meeting. The team gets together, and they have a meeting. And they go over all the customer service rules that the plaza has really thought out every detail to the nth degree. They haven't left anything unthought about. And they have this, he told me, they have this credo, the plaza credo, he called it, and it is this, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Wow, that's pretty good, isn't it? That'll fly. That'll preach, as they say. And they've learned how to provide exceptional, not just excellent, but exceptional service at the plaza. If you eat in any of their restaurants, of course, they know your name immediately. I was told later that they put uh, live flowers in a flower vase on your, uh, on your table because they found over the years that the tips are higher if you have live flowers. I'm not going to argue with it on on the table. Even today, when when you see those magazine stories, those travel magazines that you pick up when you're in the doctor's office or somewhere else, about the best customer service in America, who's at the top or in the top five every time? The Plaza Hotel. And then there's businesses like Nordstrom's and Saks Fifth Avenue. But, but it doesn't have to be some mega million dollar company in New York City to give good, exceptional uh, service. Karen and I shopped for years in this little curio shop in Charlotte called Grodziki's. I don't think it's there anymore either. And oh my, they... They had the best of the best of everything, trinkets that nobody needed in, in, that, in that shop. And we probably bought many things over the years that we certainly didn't need and, and certainly couldn't afford at the time. But what kept us coming back time after time after time again was the sales staff. The sales staff. They knew us by name. They knew our tastes. They knew... I mean, they'd never been in our house, but they knew exactly what kind of furnishings we had. They knew what we had bought so far. It wasn't on a computer that they had to look at. They just knew, and they knew where to deliver the stuff because that was one of their claims to fame. If you bought a little thimble that was, you know, this big, they'd box it up and deliver it to your house. They'd be there before you got home. But do you know who's missing from this or any other list of the best customer service organizations in America? The church. 
the church is? Why is it that the church, the number one place of customer service in America, why couldn't we be on that list too? Like all the best places in New York City or Dallas, Texas or Longs, South Carolina. It'd be easier to get on the list in Longs, South Carolina, I think. What if the list looked like this? The Plaza Hotel, Nordstrom, Saks Fifth Avenue, Renovation Church. Wouldn't that be great? And we have as a church, as Christians, we have this 2,000-year history of serving people. That's what the church is about, of meeting the needs of other people. And as we continue in this exponential series, I want you to understand this. This is important. When you serve somebody else, when you serve anybody else, it has a compounding effect. Why? Because here I am 40 years later, and I'm still telling you the story of the great service that I got at the Plaza Hotel back in the early 1980s. So today I want to introduce you to another minor character who had a major impact because of her service. And I want to begin by giving you my definition of serving. I looked at a bunch of other people's definitions. I even have one for you later on, but this is a compilation of all those, and, and you know I love to come up with my own definitions and own words, so here it is. This is your big idea for today, by the way. Serving is the act of putting the needs of others before my needs. It's pretty simple. Serving is putting the needs of uh, the act of putting the needs of other people before my own needs. That's what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the day. You see, when you put somebody else's needs above your own needs, that has an exponential impact on their lives, on your life, and on the lives of the people in our community, whether you know it or not. And you who are going on those short-term mission trips, even throughout the world. It'll have an impact. Now, maybe you're in here this morning right now, and you're thinking, hmm, I came here today because I've got some significant needs in my own life. Some of you really had a tough week, and I understand that. Some of you had a really bad morning, and I understand that. Happy birthday, Heather Phillips, wherever you are. You in here? Yeah, there you are. It's hard to see with these lights. Some of you had a bad hair day, and I understand that too. Maybe you came here today and you said, you know what, I just need a day for God to give me something. That's what I want to go to church for today. I want Him to give me something. I need God's power in my life. I need God to meet my needs and here this joker up front just told me to write, serving is the act of putting the needs of others before my needs. <laughs> I know other people have needs, but by golly, I have needs too. Well, let me give you a principle of spiritual maturity 
that's very simple and very profound. The principle is this. God will meet your needs whenever you decide to meet the needs of others. He will. We could, we could have people stand up and give testimonies of when that's happened in their lives. God will meet your needs whenever you decide to meet the needs of others. You see, if, if you want God to meet your needs, if you, want God to, if, you, if you want to walk out of here today with your cup already full because of what God's done, then you make the decision right here and now to meet the needs of other people. And it's in an explicably supernatural kind of way that God will meet my needs and your needs and everyone else's needs when we are meeting the needs of other people. It's only when we get, out that, get outside of that shell of ours of, of selfishness that God can fill us up and so today, when you decide to serve, that could be the greatest thing that you decide to do in your life. Because God's going to give you power in your life. God's going to give you the strength that you need in your life. God's going to work in your life in a really big way. He's going to equip you. Let me kind of prove that to you by getting to the Scripture that we're looking at. The story of Dorcas or Tabitha the compounding life of, of Tabitha. Her story's at the end of Acts chapter 9. It's kind of nestled away there at the end, and, and a lot of times we don't pay too much attention to it because of all the good stuff that happens at the first of the chapter. That's where Paul was converted on the road to Damascus and the things that, that took place with him, and, and we're so overwhelmed with, with that story that we kind of slip right past uh, the Dorcas story at the end of Acts chapter 9. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 36 uh, through verse 42. In this church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only standard that we have for our faith and for our life. So listen as I read to you from God's Word, Acts 9, beginning at verse 36. In Joppa, <clears throat> in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which, when translated, is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, and when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. The cliff notes of that would be something like, Hey, you know that lady Tabitha? 
the one who makes those coats and other garments for the poor and those others who are in need. She died last week. She died last week. And Peter came over here, and, and he prayed for her. And you know what happened? God raised her from the dead. And now she's walking around Joppa serving the poor people again. In your handout, you'll see an area that's titled, Two Ways to Live an Expounding Life of Compounding Service. And the first way is this. The first thing you need to do is this. Acknowledge that the Holy Spirit has given me spiritual gifts for service. Acknowledge that the Holy Spirit has given me spiritual gifts for service. And I want you to recognize right off the top that you have these abilities only because God has given them to you. And God hasn't given you these things for your own advancement, for your own pleasure, for you to show off for other people. He's given them to you so that you can use them to serve other people, and particularly in the church. And Tabitha models this so well. She's a great example for us. Now look, it says in verse 36, In Joppa there was a disciple, a Christ follower, named Tabitha. So one thing we need to realize is that these spiritual gifts are given to believers, to Christ followers. They're not doled out to everyone else. And think about it a little bit. If they're to be used for the church, then they're given to believers within the church. I think that one of the amazing things about a church is that when we first opened the doors, we had no idea who was coming. We had no idea who would be making up the crowd that we would be looking at each week. And over the years, it's changed a little bit and grown a little bit, but it's, it's still a, a mix of all people, all ages, from all different parts of the country. But one thing that I was sure of the very first Sunday I got up, and I'm sure of it to the last day that I'm up here, is that somewhere within this group here, God has placed every spiritual gift that we can think of. Every single spiritual gift is represented here. Otherwise, otherwise we wouldn't have a church. We'd have a golf membership or something, you know? A country club membership. We wouldn't need those spiritual gifts. But some of you do this, and some of you do that, and some of you... I don't have all the spiritual gifts. I have very few of them. But when we start putting them all together, we have every one of the spiritual gifts that are talked about in the New Testament. Why did the author in this passage use two names for Tabitha, for Dorcas? See, Tabitha started going by a different name, after she became a follower of Jesus because when she became a follower of Jesus, a Christ follower, it literally changed who she was. 
changed the way she did everything, changed the way she looked at the world. Some of you can testify to that very thing. She became someone who met the needs of others. How did she do it? Through making clothing, making garments that they could wear, clothing for the poor who didn't have anything to wear. And she wanted to make sure that everybody knew that this change had occurred in her life. And the author wanted to make sure that we knew that he was talking about the same person, this Tabitha and Dorcas. They're the same person, not two different people. In becoming a follower of Jesus, Tabitha's life, Dorcas's life, was completely changed. She became a servant. So what are these spiritual gifts? Well, I gave you a card that looks like this today. I didn't give it to you. Our lovely Vanna Whites at each door gave them to you. Uh, this is a card that we give out during the Alpha weekend. And when we look at the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does, one of the things he does is he gives us gifts. What are the gifts? Well, in Scripture, they're listed in four different places. One thing you notice when you look at this card, you see lists that some of the words are the same on all, three, all four lists. But some of them are different. Well, that tells me that you can't go to one place in Scripture and say, okay, there's the spiritual gifts. That's all of them. It's a complete list. Check them off. Do you have any of those? They're in several places. I think there are more spiritual gifts than this. As he sees fit to give gifts for the church to use to advance the kingdom of God. Hang on to this. We're going to need it here in a little bit. I did a little bit of research this week because I wanted to have a, a good definition to work off of, not my definition and this is the one I found and the one that we're probably going to use today as the, as the foundation for these spiritual gifts. Thing. Spiritual gifts are special attributes that are given by the Holy Spirit to be used to serve others within the church. That's pretty simple, but that's pretty much what they are. Spiritual gifts are special attributes that are given by the Holy Spirit to be used to serve others within the church. And I've coupled with that in your notes there the memory verse. We have a memory verse today. I bet you don't even know the memory verse from the last time, do you? What was it? Psalm 119, 105. God's We got there eventually. God's word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. Well, today it's Matthew 23, 11. And it says, The greatest among you must be a servant. Matthew 23, 11. And I taught you last time how to memorize this, so... Let's, let's read it all together like this, and then we'll start our little exercise, and we'll see if you can't memorize it before the day's over. Matthew 23, 11. 
The greatest among you must be a servant. Matthew 23, 11. Matthew 23, 11. The greatest among you must be a servant. Matthew 23, 11. Matthew 23, 11. The greatest among you must be a servant. Matthew 23, 11. Matthew 23, 11. The greatest among you must be a servant. Matthew 23, 11. And here comes the test. Matthew 23, 11. The greatest among you must be a servant. Matthew 23, 11. So now you've memorized another one that you can tuck away. It may come in handy at some time. Let's unpack all this for a little bit. First of all, in, in the Old Testament, this is what we talk about on the, on the weekend, the Spirit of God, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament was given to particular people at particular times for particular tasks. We have a number of examples throughout the Old Testament where God's Spirit was poured out on people for a particular reason. Gideon, to lead his small band of soldiers. Uh, Basilel is one that they love to talk about. An artist in, uh, in, uh, that was with Moses that, that uh, actually fashioned a lot of the stuff for the tabernacle, the moving temple out through the desert. So it, it, the Holy Spirit was given to particular people at particular times for particular tasks. But at Pentecost, something happened. The Holy Spirit came for all believers. The word that's used is everyone. It, he came for everyone. And he gives spiritual gifts as he desires to give those gifts. All the spiritual gifts are given by God through the Holy Spirit, yes. We don't, we don't do anything to earn them. We can't do anything to earn them. We don't get to choose the gifts that we want. We can ask for a particular gift, but there's no promise that we're going to get that gift. It's totally up to the Holy Spirit. Each gift is equally valuable in God's eyes. There's not one that's more important than another. They're all valuable. We have to have all of them at work equally in a church to have a healthy church. But we're supposed to use our gifts within the church. Why is that? To build up the church and to advance the kingdom of God. Very simple. It can't be done without those spiritual gifts. I have some, some Baptist friends that... Uh, have in, in their in uh, these are Baptist preachers that in in their uh, seminaries are taught that the gifts ceased after the first century church. They were apostolic gifts. So when the apostles, the twelve uh, disciples, and Paul, when when they died out, the gifts died out with them. There was no need for those gifts anymore. 
but I'll argue with them that if our church ever, not renovation particularly, but our church, the church, if the church ever needed these spiritual gifts at work, it's today. It's today as we go up against who knows what out there in the world. Not just sin and evil, but uh, uh, whatever term they want to use today and being politically correct for the Islamist, jihadist, you know, folks. We need these spiritual gifts. And that needs, leads us to this next verse in the handout. Um, I don't think I wrote it out for you. Mm, let me see. I hope I... If I don't have it, write it in there. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, and it says this. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. And you'll notice up here I've even underlined each of us. Everybody that is a believer in the church has at least one spiritual gift. Some have multiple. Everybody has at least one. And you're not supposed to sit in your seat and squander that gift. You're to use that gift. Use it to its fullest. Um, you're here at Renovation Church today, and that's probably a great thing because you can take your first step with these spiritual gifts today because my goal for you is to help you begin to discover what your spiritual gifts are. Then I try to help you. And then find areas where you can begin to put those gifts into practice. And you say, man, that's a, that's a pretty big goal. That's a pretty big goal. I don't even know what my spiritual gifts are. How can I possibly put them into practice? Well, I have an easy online spiritual gift assessment that you can take. Don't worry, it's not a test. Don't think of this as a as a test, as one of those standardized tests that Jennifer and all these other teachers uh, make their students take. I, I actually think you'll find this to be a pretty fun activity as you go through it. And in or, order to uh, get in the right frame of mind for this, I want us to do a little exercise to help with this assessment. I thought about doing deep breathing exercises but then I thought, you know, that's probably not going to help us much with spiritual gifts. So I need, to, I need to choose something else. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes and think of a time. It's like you're on the couch at the psychiatrist. Close your eyes and think of a time in your life when you felt totally energized. Maybe you felt, maybe you felt creative. Maybe you felt like, as they say, you were in the zone. And now I want you to think, where were you? Where are you right now in your mind? Where is that taking place? Are you at work? Are you at the church? Are you volunteering somewhere? Are you with friends? Are you on a vacation? And everybody should have a, a time and a place in mind. And now, here's why this is important. You can open your eyes, don't sleep. Um, when it comes to spiritual gifts, this is important. Your spiritual gift often, I've found, often aligns with 
your abilities, with your personality types, those of you that have done any Myers-Briggs or DISCs uh, surveys, with your personality types, with your past experiences, with the things that you really love to do, seems like spiritual gifts kind of align themselves there. I really, really, really like what Rick Warren says about these spiritual gifts because I think it's so true. I've had people over the years that wanted to take a spiritual gift assessment to find out what their spiritual gifts were. I even took one. Actually, I took three this week. The same one. I did the same one three times, and I got different answers all three times. I mean, the the top one was the top one each time, but the others kind of changed around a little bit. And I didn't think I was really changing anything. So what I'm telling you there is that's not the end all to know what the spiritual gift is. I think Rick Warren has, has it right here. He uses an acronym called SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E. And I put that in your books, and you, you can write these down. Spiritual gifts are determined by, first of all, your spiritual gift. What you find out on a test, it is. Let me tell you, you don't have to take a test. If you want to find out what your spiritual gift is, ask the people around you, and they can tell you what your spiritual gift is. They'll know. The people that you work with, the people that you associate with, you've already displayed that to them. So S stands for spiritual gift. H stands for heart or passion. What are you passionate about? What do you really want to do? What do you have a burden for? The A stands for ability, your aptitude, your talents, those things. What is your ability? The P stands for personality because that's an important part of shape. What are your interpersonal skills? How do you get along with it? Let's say you have a spiritual gift of teaching and you can't stand to be up in front of people talking. Well, there's some little conflict there, isn't there? So interpersonal skills, personality has something to do with it. And last, the E stands for experience. What experiences have you had in the past that you bring to the equation? Your your spiritual gifts, your heart, your ability, your personality, and your experience all together make your shape. And you can find out where you're best suited to work. And experiences, it could be good experiences. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly is what it is. It's all your experiences together. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good, right? All things, even those bad things that we went through, even those bad things God can use for good. God often aligns your spiritual gifts with who you already are as a person. So listed on this spiritual gifts card are some of the spiritual gifts from, from Scripture, and I want to walk through a few of these. As you looked at your card, you probably thought, oh, that might be me. I mean, I think when I got the card, that's what I would think. Oh, that, that might be me. You, you maybe already have an idea of where you are here. And I, wanna, I want you to do a little exercise with yourself before you take that, that little test online uh, and just see 
which ones you think you are on here. Two of them, but let me, let me don't mark them yet. Let me uh, give you kind of a breakdown of a few of the biggies here. The first one is administration. If your boss or your friend says that dreaded phrase, we need to get organized here, and you get excited about it, then you've, pro- and, and there are people that really get excited about that, then you probably have the gift of administration. Uh, encouragement or exhortation. You just, you just kind of notice when people are down around you. You, you seem to sense that, and, and you're able to speak words to them that will lift them up. You encourage them. That's exhortation. Giving. Giving. God calls all of us as believers to give, and, and here at Renovation Church, we talk in terms of everyone should be obedient to returning to, to God a, a tithe, a 10%, their first 10% of, of all of their income. So giving is something that he expects all of us to do. But some of you sitting here today, you really go far beyond that, way beyond 10%. You love to give. You love to give. Your, your money, your time, your talents, you love to give it. Each of us has something to learn from you. You probably have the spiritual gift of giving. Leading. Leading. How do you know if you have the gift of leadership? You look around see if anybody's following you. If they're following you, you're probably a leader. If there's nobody following you, then you just think you're a leader. There was a proverb that said, he who thinks he is a leader and has no followers is simply taking a walk. (laughs) Shepherding, shepherding. Are you a caring person? Do you care about people? Do you like to have people kind of come under your wing and you you can nurture them and take care of them? We've had some ladies in our in our uh, midst here today that had shoulder surgeries. And we, in each case, we had their single ladies. We had other ladies who went over and took care of them from the time they took them home from the hospital, stayed with them, nursed them, gave them stuff to eat, made sure the meds were right, took them back to the doctors. That's what we're talking about. Teaching teaching. You like, you like to study the Bible. You, you actually know these minor characters that we're talking about, perhaps. That's a, that's a pretty good litmus test if you know Dorcas and you know King Josiah. You share the practical things that you learn through your Bible study with, with others, things that you've learned from God's Word. You're probably, you're probably a teacher. Evangelism. Here's another one that's kind of like giving. God calls all of us to be evangelists. We're all to share our faith with people, with our friends, with our co-workers, with anybody else that he happens to place in our lives. But some of you are really, 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 really good at that. For other people, it's a, it's a real struggle. You look for new and creative ways that you can share your faith. You probably have the gift of evangelism. Faith itself. Did you know faith is a spiritual gift? 
You have a high trust in God. We set a goal here at uh, Renovation Church to do something, like, like uh, move over to this building. Let's say that's, that's the goal. And you say, we're going to make that. That's no problem. God's going to provide everything we need for that. I just know he is. We're going to be able to make every obligation that we have. You probably have the gift of faith, if that's your attitude. Mercy. Mercy. Are you a good listener? Are you empathetic? We all know somebody like that. We all need somebody around us like that. I think my wife and I both on our spiritual gifts, uh, things that we've done over the years, <laughs> mercy is the lowest for both of us. Now, that makes it tough to live with one, <laughs> with one another when neither one is very merciful. But uh, it's amazing how when you get into situations, God ups the ante on, on that gift of mercy. Serving. Serving is another. You look for ways that you can help us out. You may be that person that on your way out to the car today, you see a piece of trash out there and you pick it up. And you think, well, I can make the church look a little bit better that way. You're always looking for some place that you can help out. Somebody else that can be helped with something that you have. Wisdom. People who have wisdom are good at extracting principles from what they read and study. Good at, at extracting principles from their past experiences and sharing those principles with other people to make a point very clear. Wisdom. Okay, so here's, here's the spiritual gifts inventory online that I was talking about. We'll run through this very quickly. I put in your... Uh, Hand out there, www.teamministry.com. You go to that website, and it opens up that blue thing that looks like this. Uh, it'll open that up on your computer. And you, there's two choices there, free and group analysis. Well, you're not paying for the group analysis, so you click on group analysis. Very good. Click on group analysis, and the, and the next thing that you come to is this, pre-registered group login. If your group has already registered, which I did this past week, and received a login number, which I did this past week, enter your login number below and follow the instructions on the next page. Your login number I put on your handout is 501592. You put that into that blank, and it and you click login, and you're well on your way. The next page is a little bit of uh, explanation about what this spiritual gift analysis looks like. You can kind of skip down to the bottom of the page where it says click here to begin the assessment. And then the assessment looks like one more, one more. L oh, Sorry, that's the one I had to take out. Sorry, this wasn't working. This wasn't working in our uh, pro presenter program. I don't think I even have it on your sheet there because it wouldn't let me uh, copy it because it has an active uh, key in it. Um, but it starts the. It looks like a standardized test. There's a there's a statement and it has uh, a spot for you to click on almost always. A spot for you to click on occasionally and a spot for you to click on not very often 
So you click on one of those. And you do it, I think there are 108 questions. It takes about 15 minutes to do the whole thing. And instantly, boom, you get this printout that not only graphs it for you, it goes into detail back here about what each one of those spiritual gifts means and how that gift might be used within the church. Again, that's just the S of shape. Don't get hung up on spiritual gift. Remember the other things that are in there too. Let's move on. The second way to live an exponential life of compounding service is to be proactive in using your spiritual gifts. This is the important part. Be proactive in using them. Discovering your spiritual gift is great. I'm glad that we're able to do that. I'm glad that we're able to offer that for you. But that's just a place to start. Where it really gets to be fun is, is when you begin to find a lot of fulfillment and put these things into, into practice and you start using them in the church. Tabitha did this. Tabitha found that that what she loved to do most was make garments for people in need. Acts 9.36 says, uh, in New Living Translation, she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. Her spiritual gift was serving. Do you know anybody like that in your life? Anybody that you've come across in, in your life? They just... Do kind things for other people. And you think, why would they do that? They just, they just love to do kind things, kind of unexpectedly kind things. That's how Tabitha was. Do you know that God honors that kind of attitude in your life? Someone who looks for kind things to do? Not the person that sits back and says, well, I want to wait for the perfect serving opportunity to arrive so I can use my unique spiritual gift and I know God's going to make that opportunity come along here I'm not going to serve until that one comes along God's given it to me and, and probably me alone I'm the only one here at renovation that has that gift that doesn't honor God that doesn't honor him at all God honors the attitude of someone who says where is the need? Where can I serve? When can I start? Can I do it now? There's an opportunity for service here. That's that attitude of, of uh, opportunity and obedience to that opportunity that God really honors. He loves that obedience. God honors your obedience in two distinct ways. First of all, God will further clarify for you the unique spiritual gift that he's given to you. Let's say it's teaching. Well, he's going to show you specifically where you should use that gift of teaching. Is it in a home group? Is it in an alpha group? Is it in kids, renovation kids classroom over here? Is it to a large group? Is it maybe at uh, community Bible study or Bible study fellowship? Where is he wanting you to use that gift that he's given you? And secondly, God will provide more opportunities for you to serve. 
That's a distinct way that God honors your obedience. He's, he'll give you one to do. You do it and do it well, he's going to give you more. And maybe, you know, some people wait for that big important thing to do. I'm, I'm just going to hang out here and, by golly, I'm going to go to uh, uh, Zambia and, and save that whole country for Jesus. Well, that might not be exactly the task that he's uh, ordained for you. So you need to be open to other service opportunities. You do a few of those, and he might very well send you to Zambia to save the whole country for Jesus. But I don't think it's going to be right out of the chute. really begins with attitude. Um, look at... Look at some of these uh, things that I've listed on your uh, handout here. Good gracious. Did I not copy that on here either? Oh, my goodness. Um, We were having trouble with the computer yesterday, and copy-paste, copy-paste wasn't working, and the whole back of your outline is supposed to have opportunities for service here at renovation so you're going to have to write these i think you can write these i'll have them i think on the screen do i nope okay uh okay now you see how not to teach uh the first one is this guest services guest services hopefully when you came in today somebody greeted you i hope they did with a smile Most of you were greeted, I think, because I see some handouts here and some alpha registration forms and all that. The person who greeted you, that person's a volunteer. A volunteer who joined that team. They're serving there. All they had to do this morning was to show up about an hour before you got here, maybe an hour and a half before some of you got here, and pray with the group about what God's going to do today and receive some last-minute instructions because I am bad about changing things at the last minute and they have to know if we're doing something different in the service. So you might receive some different instructions and then get into your position so you'll be there when the first guests start to arrive. And for some of those people, I think they would tell you that This is the most significant hour, hour and a half of their week. It's when they get to interact with people here. When they get to greet, meet and greet. The second is short-term mission groups. Mission groups. We're meeting, as I said earlier, on Sunday, January 25th at 3 o'clock to look at the opportunities that, that are available and to look at those of you that signed up, are you really serious about short-term missions? Are you interested in it? Are you really serious about it? And I'm going to be doing over the next little while some customs and culture training for people so that we're not offensive when we go to some of these other countries. I would like for each member that's on a small uh, short-term mission trip to be ministry trained, prayer ministry trained like our folks up here. I'd like for them to be able to share their faith in like three to five minutes in an 
easy to understand language without any churchy phrases in it because in some of the places we go they don't understand those churchy phrases they don't understand exorbitant language theological language we have to make it simple for them uh all the groups will be required to do some background study on the country that they're going to and kind of will teach one another that. I always prefer that people going on short-term trips are alpha-trained and equipped. The tech team, the people back here that they kind of make me look good when I get the stuff to them to go up on the screen. Um, men and women, they're trained to operate the soundboard, the computer presentation, maybe even videoing and editing when necessary, um, if, if that's a, an area that you like. There's nothing back there that's complicated. It just takes attention and takes dedication. You need to be here and you need to be attentive while you're here. The grounds crew, the grounds crew, a group of folks who once every couple of weeks would come out here, certainly after we have a storm or something, come out and walk the property and pick up trash and litter and unsightly things. Um, you'd be amazed what we pick up here <laughs> during, during the week. Uh, and look for maybe hazards, strip hazards that are out there. So, you know, if we have a, a piece of asphalt that chunks up and there's a hole, then obviously we need to take care of that hole. And somebody needs to let us know that there's a hole there so nobody trips and and gets hurt. Communion servers, the people that come up and serve communion here, ladies and gentlemen who will be trained in the sacrament of communion to act as servers, folks who are passionate about the Lord's Supper, hold it in the highest regard. Those are the folks that we want here. The prayer ministry team who, who we have come up every week to pray with you and for you. Uh, trainings provided for that. Uh, detailed training so that you, you don't just get thrown up here to pray for people. We, we try to help you through that. Alpha completion is a requirement for that. Renovation kids, men and women who are passionate about children that are birthed through grade five. There's a place for you over there. Background checks are a must. We do background checks on everybody just to be safe. Everybody is trained in the area that they're going to work. And the positions that we're talking about are not teachers. We have, we have teachers in place. We don't need you. If you would like to teach, we'd love to have you. But we're not talking about a long-term teaching commitment over there. We're talking about people who could be like teacher's aides to help the kids color, get crayons, or cut things out, or... You know, what, what, whatever the activity might be, runners who can, who can be here and when they see a family come in with kids, they can take that family to the check-in counter over there or take kids upstairs to the classrooms when they're not familiar with where um, the classrooms are. We need a very special person, a special kind of personality and yet some tech-savvy stuff for check-in over here to check people in and get name tags. We, those of you that aren't aware of this, there's two name tags that are made, one for the child to wear, one for the parent to wear. And when somebody goes to pick up that child after the service, they have to have the other part of that name tag or they don't get the child. 
Now, it sounds crazy, but in today's world, we have to. We have to. Our parents would demand that we do that. We demand that we do that for safety of our children. Um, the, the positions are such that you can rotate, and you only have to serve like once every six weeks or so. Renovation youth, Joey, Eric are heading this up. Men and women who are passionate about middle, age, middle school-aged and high school-aged students. They have one large group a, a, a month. That's not too much. They have small groups every week that meet kind of at your, you know, whenever you can make that happen with the kids so you can hang out with them, do a little study, find out who they are, live with them a little bit, you know, get to know them, get to know their situation so that, so that they trust you, so that they feel loved here. Maybe some of them don't feel any love anywhere else, and this is the place that they get their love. Hopefully, these volunteers would also like to do things like go to football games or soccer matches or plays or dance recitals or, oh my goodness, or whatever else uh, you might uh, determine would be in, uh, important in the life of the child that you could be a part of. Uh, chair repair. You look around, and our chairs have been here a while, and if you look closely, they are getting some little tears in them so we need some people with some thread needles maybe a doctor or nurse <laughs> that can that can uh sew up some chairs that uh, that need it and then we have some i don't know what i'm afraid to even ask what some of the stuff on some of the chairs is but we just need to have a cleaning day for the chairs they, they've been around for a while we you know we need to do this every once in a while, so often the chair repair any of these you can write down. And finally, men's fellowship. I, well, I, not finally, because we have a women's fellowship now, I think, down at the Dune Golf and Beach Club. Uh, I'm only kidding, Donna. Um, look, on, look, look, at, look over these, or as, as you wrote them down there, see which one you think fits you. And on the back of your Connect card where it says Next Steps, I want you to write two. Just write two of those down there. And I'll make sure that the team leaders in that area get in touch with you in the next couple of weeks. If you have your email address, you've got to have your email address, phone number, you know, some way to connect with you. But if you do that, I'll have that team leader contact you, and we'll see if we can't get you uh, involved in a place here at Renovation Church right away. 1 Timothy 4.14, our last verse says this. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you have received. That would be a travesty. You've got this spiritual gift. Now use it. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this day, for, for the ones here who uh, have stepped up to the plate already. They know what their spiritual gifts are. They know where they are to serve. They are already actively serving. They may be looking for other places that they can help as well. And, Lord, I just pray that you would encourage them day by day. Let them know how much we are thankful for their obedience to step out and serve, for their willingness to talk to others about maybe serving on their team, for their dedication to that team to continue showing up week after week to, 
to do the things that you call us to do. Every person on every team is essential to Renovation Church. We can't do this without a one of them, and we need even more. So, God, place on the hearts of these who are listening to my voice just now to come, sign up, be a part of a great experience here. I pray that we could get on that top five list with the Plaza Hotel. Thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, on, the, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the evening before he went to the cross, he was in an upper room with his friends and he took bread and he broke the bread and said, Friends, this is my body that is broken for you. And after the meal, he took a cup and poured wine in, saying, This cup is the new covenant. It's in my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this wine, you remember my death until I come. And his death was important because that was his service. He came to seek and save the lost. He came for you. He came for me. He was the one that said he came not to be served, but to serve. That's the example we have for service in the church. So as you come for communion today, I just pray that you would remember that. The example that Jesus set for each of us. He was first a servant. You'll have a time here to prepare your hearts, to talk to God about the things in your life that, that you've done, that you shouldn't have done, the things that you should have done that you haven't done. And in both cases, he calls those sin, and he asks us to confess those sins. In other words, to agree with him that, yes, they are, in fact, sin, and I have... I'm, I'm guilty of that. But he also says in his words, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All we have to do is ask. It's that simple. As you come, the servers have wine for your use. If you prefer juice, there's juice at either of these stations. The baskets here are for your Connect cards that I can't wait to see. See what areas you have on there. Uh, for your Alpha registrations, for your tithes and offerings. Come to his table. Table of service. Come.